A months-long investigation by a CQ roll call has found that many of the people President Donald Trump is nominating to federal judgeships have given campaign contributions to Republicans. An outsized portion of the money is going to three senators who have particular sway over who gets on federal district and appeals courts. Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham and Senior Judiciary Committee Republicans Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. That raises some questions. Do campaign contributors have a better chance at judgeships? And will those partisans who are confirmed to the bench give everyone who comes before their courts a fair shake? I have the investigative team here to tell us about it. Let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. First on my right, we've got... Ed Timms, investigations editor. Joshua Eaton, investigative reporter. Ilana Marcus, investigative data editor. All right, and let's start with Ed. Ed, you've been working on this project uh, for a few months now. Tell us about what the headline is. Uh, Basically, the headline is that there are three members of the Senate Judiciary Committee who have received more contributions from folks who ultimately became federal judges than the rest of the Senate Judiciary Committee combined. And what was the scope of your inquiry? We basically looked at every judicial nominee during the Trump and the Obama administration and tracked their contributions to members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. So wait, you're saying that people who have been nominated for judgeships, federal judgeships on federal districts courts and federal appeals courts on the Supreme Court are giving money to the senators whose role it is to confirm them to those posts? There's a long-standing relationship prior to the nomination. Basically, you have people who have established a relationship with the senators who can make or break their careers uh, in advance. Um, Then they get nominated, then they get confirmed, and they get on the bench. Do we know if those contributions are leading to their appointments? It's impossible to say what the motivation is. All we can look at is the pattern. And one of the patterns that we did observe is that uh, there's a crescendo before the nomination, uh, and then it drops off uh, rather abruptly uh, in the one year or two year beforehand. So there are some indications that at least some of the people who are giving contributions to members of the Senate Judiciary Committee Uh, are at the very least trying to establish a relationship with people who could help them in their careers. Um, And if there's more than that, that uh, is beyond our ability to get to it right now. I'm going to turn to Joshua Eaton, the team's investigative reporter. Joshua, why should our listeners care about this? The courts are hugely important. They've always been hugely important. They make life or death decisions uh, every day. But in recent years, uh, with uh, the divide um, in party control between the House and the Senate, uh, slowdown in legislation, the courts have really become a cornerstone, uh, especially in the Trump administration, of uh, the, the White House and then Senate Republicans' agenda. Uh, so uh, they're hugely important, have always been hugely important, and, and that importance uh, has only grown in this administration. Right. I We recently published in CQ Magazine an article that looked at the Senate's agenda for 2019, which was 
to a pretty extraordinary extent, focused on confirmation of judges. And there were 96 uh, roll call votes on judges. There were 105 judges ultimately confirmed. Some didn't require a roll call vote. And it indicates that, you know, this is a high priority for, for President Trump, right? Uh, it's a high priority for President Trump, and it, it's a high priority. We have a great quote uh, in the story from a spokesperson for uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who's the current uh, Judiciary Committee chair, uh, and uh, it's uh, you know the Graham uh, promise judges, judges, and more judges, and uh, the Senate Republicans have, have definitely tried to deliver on that promise. And those votes in the Senate were to also an extraordinary degree, a much greater degree than in the past, Partisan votes, Democrats voting no, Republicans voting yes, which I guess is a bit alarming in that these judges are supposed to be impartial arbiters. Why should one party uh, favor a judge and another not if they're a good appointment, if they're going to fill that role of an impartial arbiter? So your findings here play into this concern that these judges are becoming politicized. Among experts we spoke to, Uh, on the left and the right, Uh, one thing everyone could agree on is that the process, uh, at least in in recent times, has has reached a high watermark on on partisanship. Uh, It's more polarized than it's been in a long time. Uh, And what a lot of experts we spoke with worry about is uh, the legitimacy of the courts. Uh, Courts don't have uh, armies, uh, they can't uh, withhold funding the way Congress can. Courts, uh, in large part, uh, rely on the perception of legitimacy and authority uh, to enforce their rulings. And you know, there's the concern uh, among some that if judges are seen as partisan players instead of neutral arbiters, uh, that could really undermine that legitimacy. I think you've seen a dramatic change in what lawmakers on both sides of the aisle try to do when it comes to uh, nominating a judge. Uh, There was a time that lawmakers on both sides of the aisle tried to find somebody who would be reasonably acceptable to both sides. And a measure of success was getting a judicial nominee passed with a large number of votes. And so that's what they really were trying for. Or even many were confirmed by voice votes. By voice votes. consent. They didn't even take a roll call. Exactly vote. right. Uh, what we've seen to a degree is the judiciary becoming weaponized politically, that lawmakers are looking for folks who are going to reflect their base, reflect the issues, you know, have the right kind of... Uh, uh, attitudes from their perspective on the issues that are most important to their well, base. An important bit of context here um, is that we are in a new world in the last six years, I suppose, since 2013, the end of 2013, when then-Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid moved to change the Senate rules to require only 50 votes, essentially, to confirm a judge, provided that the vice president could break any tie, so 50 votes, and it used to be 60. So unless a party had a huge Senate majority, they had to get votes from the other side. Now, with only 50 required, the majority can approve more conservative judges, in this case, with a Republican Senate, more conservative judges, younger judges. Uh, Are you finding that that change in 2013 
is bringing in more politicized judges in in that there are people who have given money to members of Congress. Well, what it enables Republicans right now to do is ram through just about anybody who they want to because a simple majority, which they have uh, in the Senate, means they can push through whoever they want. Um, you're right. I mean, having to get over that 60-vote threshold required a little bit more moderation uh, in the past. I'd also like to point out that when you start finger-pointing, I mean, a lot of people point to Harry Reid. If you go back far enough, it's virtually chicken versus egg. Both Republicans and Democrats uh, have a lot to answer for in terms of the dysfunction when it comes to selecting judges. Well, certainly. I think Reid felt he was forced into that move because Republicans were no longer allowing judges to go through by unanimous consent and voice vote. They were demanding roll calls and, in fact, were blocking the judges. So he felt like he had to do this, but the consequences are, are quite severe. But are you finding that since the nuclear option was invoked by Senator Reid, that the group of judges who are being nominated have given more money or are more likely to have given money than those who preceded them? It's not clear exactly where the money begins and ends, but what I think you can see is a number of judicial nominees who have backgrounds that probably never would have passed muster 20 years ago. Uh, And if you look at circuit judge nominees in particular, those almost exclusively now are party line votes. And the circuit, of course... Because the appeals courts are so crucial. They're, They're leading up to the Supreme Court. Well, I want to point out also that Republicans at a certain point, they were also willing to kind of protect the institution. When Democrats had the Senate, uh, there were Republicans who were willing to vote for cloture for nominees that Democrats brought forward and then explicitly said, I will vote against this nominee, but for the sake of the institution, we will allow this this nominee to to come to a vote because this is the prerogative of the president right. to they nominate have two, someone? They can have two votes, one to close off debate, closure, and that can require 60 votes. So a senator could make a point and, and vote for closure, but then on the final vote, it could be a majority vote. This prior to Senator Reid's decision. On right, the, and the there were certainly option. Republicans who, who spoke to that explicitly. McCain, others said, I'm going to allow this to come to a vote, even though I don't support this nominee, but for the sake of the institution, this is what I think we should do. Gotcha. Ilana, tell us a bit, a little bit about the data gathering here. How onerous was it to put this all together? It was not trivial. What were the key challenges? So the FEC makes uh, campaign contribution data available to the public, um, but, but some of the challenges were that we were searching for um, specific contributors among Thousands and thousands of contributions. There are some common names that are uh, difficult to kind of sort through. And we were very, very thorough in determining which contributions belong to the people that we were interested in. So the Senate is not producing as part of its vetting or papers or public releases about a judge that is up before the Senate easy to access information about their history of campaign contributions. This is something we had to go through the documents and find. Yeah, and and we did that by searching um, for, uh, you know, the formal names that judges went by, any historic legal names. We cross-referenced any information that we found in a record with other publicly available records, employment history, uh, occupations, addresses. Um, We 
we basically had to sort through this entire huge record set to kind of whittle it down to records that we were very, very certain uh, were associated with the nominees in question. And what kind of money are we talking about here? I mean, were there were there some judges giving a lot to senators? There was a range. There, there are some who give a lot to political causes in general. And then there were some among those contributions, um, some went to the senators on the Judiciary Committee. And then there are other nominees who chiefly contributed to senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Right. Ed mentioned uh, some of the key senators on the Judiciary Committee, which is the first stop for a a judge awaiting confirmation. they got to go through the Judiciary Committee before there's a full vote in the Senate. Um, So Lindsey Graham's the chairman. He's getting an outsized proportion of these uh, contributions at this time. Yeah, he was one of our top three. Interesting. And so let me turn back to you, Joshua. I mean, the, the broader context here is that we are in the midst of a struggle between the three branches of government over power, essentially. And the executive branch, President Trump, trying to stretch the normal limits of executive power. He's declared a national emergency on the southern border in order to build his border wall. He's implemented a travel ban from a number of African and Muslim-majority countries. He's implemented a policy requiring asylum seekers to wait on the other side of the border in Mexico. All of these things are before the courts. The courts have a huge role here in determining the scope of executive power, how far the president can go. And it affects Congress, too. For example, during the impeachment proceedings, there was concern among House Democrats that they would not be able to get testimony from key White House officials. And they said, oh, we could go to the courts, but it would take forever, and we don't know the outcome. In fact, the former White House counsel, Don McGahn, recently in appeals court said he did not have to testify before the House, a very important decision. So we're at a time where there's a struggle amongst the branches of government, and the courts are so crucial in deciding who gets the power. One of the things we've been thinking about uh, as we've been working on this project is not just sort of impropriety or bias, but the appearance of those and uh, the way that that can erode uh, perceived legitimacy. Right. If you're a plaintiff in front of uh, one of these judges who's given money to uh, a political party or a political candidate, and your, um, your case is one that divides the parties, you have to wonder if you're going to receive a fair hearing. And I think one of the things we've seen, uh, you know, in some of the news coming out of the Justice Department uh, over the past couple of years, for example, is that uh, the uh, appearance of impropriety or the appearance of wrongdoing can be just as serious as as the reality. Now, Ed, one of the remarkable things that you discovered in your research was that some of these judges who've been confirmed continue to give money to political candidates. Is that right? That is correct, and that's actually something that Joshua uh, dug into very deeply. I think he might be in a better position to talk about that. Okay, Josh, let's go back to you. What did you find on that? So we did find a couple of instances where contributions appeared under a judge's name and um, uh, appeared to come from the judge. Even though that is officially barred. Even though that's officially barred after uh, the confirmation. Now, it strikes me that your findings— And just the general feeling that the courts are becoming more politicized is going to feed the arguments of some. We're seeing a lot of progressives, for example, arguing that these lifetime judicial appointments should be restricted. They should be term limited. 
that the courts should be expanded, that they should have requirements that are more like a, a board or a commission where a certain number of the judges are of one party, a certain number of the other, a certain number in the independent slots. Can you see those perhaps gaining more credence in this environment? I think one of the problems with that is that could actually politicize the judiciary even more. I mean, one of the reasons that you have lifetime appointments was because you wanted to put judges beyond the influence of political whim. And on the one hand, you can say, well, you have lifetime appointments and, you know, you can't, you know, really... Right. It would be an acknowledgement if you adopted term limits or a system where the parties, where it was more like a commission. It would be an acknowledgement that the courts are just as political as a legislative body. And if that happens, I think there is a strong argument to be made that that will be a very sad day for the country because the judiciary has always been the one branch that was a bit removed from the political process. Clearly, there's always been political influence. There always has been. However, there's been a lot of times where judges who had a political background, got appointed to the bench and became something very different from what their political backers imagined starting out. The Warren Court is a good example of that. A Republican nominee who, you know, ended up presiding over a court that was accused of being one of the most liberal courts in the history of the United States. The problem with taking away the lifetime appointment, though, is that Imagine you have, hypothetically, a very senior political figure who wants to exert his will over every aspect of governance and doesn't like the decisions that certain judges make. Uh, If you start opening the door to the possibility that that person could be removed, then perhaps the judges are going to be less likely to strictly make rulings based on what they believe is right. We looked at all the nominees in the Trump administration, all the nominees in the Obama administration, and what percolated to the surface was that you had three of the most senior members of the Judiciary Committee, all Republicans, getting uh, significantly more money than the rest of the committee combined. We also looked at home state senators because they also have a lot of influence. They can use something called the blue slip Right. Not as much as they used to, but there used to be a hard and fast rule that the home state senators had to support a judge. Right. And the blue slip, which is basically almost like a veto, uh, still applies in the cases of district court judges. It's been taken away from the home state senators for... Senator McConnell isn't enforcing it for the appeals court. But even with the home state senators, we looked at contributions made by nominees uh, and folks who ultimately became judges to home state senators as well. And in that case, a Democrat uh, was at the top of the list, but the next four uh, folks on that list in terms of the most contributions were all Republicans. So, You mean Republican nominated? Correct. So an indication indeed that these contributions have, uh, that there's some thought behind them, that they're being given to people who are important in getting the potential nominee on the court. We also took a look at how targeted uh, those contributions were, uh, and there was a pattern in that as well. Um, Judicial nominees who were nominated under the Trump administration were much more likely to 
focus their money on members of the Senate Judiciary Committee than were Obama nominees. That's true for the highest contributors. As the contributions kind of fell off, the pattern got a little uh, less easy to discern. But um, for the top contributors, yeah, the top Democratic contributor had really spread his contributions to political causes really all over Democratic causes at the very least, but a much a pretty small percentage went to senators on the Judiciary Committee. One of the other anomalies that the research revealed was what was happening in Texas. Uh, it's a little bit different from any other state in the union. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz topped the list in terms of receiving the most contributions from uh, folks who ultimately ended up as federal judges. Uh, John Cornyn was right behind him. Um, and it truly was an anomaly because there are other states that have large numbers of ju federal judicial posts, and the senators from those states didn't come anywhere close. Uh, there are other uh, senators who are lawyers and, you know, have a background in the legal community. Uh, contributions to them didn't come anywhere close. So are you suggesting that in Texas anyway, the two senators, Cornyn and Cruz, perhaps have an unusual amount of influence on who gets nominated for federal judgeships in that state? I think there's, you know, some evidence that that may be the case. It also points to a culture that exists in Texas and might exist in a handful of other states, but Pay not to in most. Play. The fact that judges in Texas are elected in political races uh, from the Texas state judges, state judges, yeah. right? Uh, from the highest court, you know, down to the so county there, courts. There, it's a very political system through the state courts, and those are the people who are considered for federal judges. Lawyers are in the habit of uh, contributing money to judges. Uh, they are, uh, some of them are in the habit of contributing money to the judicial candidate who they want to win and then following up after the election if their candidate didn't win with a little bit of money to the person who did win just to make sure they had a level playing field when they go before that judge. So that culture may contribute to what's going on in Texas as well. I think a lot of people have the impression that President Trump is keeping faith with the the conservative base of the Republican Party by looking to the Federalist Society, the conservative legal organization for, for ideas on, on names to nominate for federal judgeships. And surely that's part of it. But you're painting a much broader picture about how people get on that list. In Texas, there's actually a Senator uh, Cornyn and Cruz have what they tout as a bipartisan commission of uh, lawyers and, and um, experts who uh, evaluate uh, potential uh, federal judges and and also uh, U.S. attorneys, and you know we tried really mightily to find out more about that commission. Uh, they put out a list of members in 2013, but haven't updated that list since then. We tried to find out who is on it still, uh, what the process is. Unfortunately, that information uh, was not uh, forthcoming. But given that list of names from 2013, we, we found that cumulatively the members of that committee had contributed over $400,000 to either Cornyn or Cruz, and three judicial nominees came out of that committee as well. Real money. Real money, real people, real judges. All right, guys. 
Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Ilana. Thank you. You can find Ed, Joshua, and Ilana's report at rollcall.com right now. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Zeller. The producer of this show was Evan Campbell. CQ on Congress is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. We'll be back next week.